because I. Uh... So we know how Layla felt about this movie. I could tell by the dot 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 in the group chat that she did not enjoy what? it. No, sacrilege. <laughs> no, 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 no. There is different emotions, and I've been trying to hold them in for the last two hours. Because like, oh, you know, okay. if you say something the first time is the true emotion, but when you repeat it, it loses that edge. Welcome back, Dreadfuls. You're listening to another episode of Left for Dread, the horror podcast for everyone from newbies to fanatics. We are not a spoiler-free podcast, so make sure you've seen the movie or movies we're talking about before you listen. I'm one of your hosts, Rye. I'm your other host, Chris. And lo and behold, we are in Arkham, Massachusetts, in the, the blasted heath. And it, it's all ash and ashy white and dust. And oh, someone's coming out of the... The ruins of the well. Who is it? It's Layla. <laughs> wow, Layla, what are you doing here? Oh, you know, I'm just cruising on meteorites, checking out the new location. Well, welcome to the show, Layla. Or walk, I, I, I should say, welcome back. Welcome back. Uh, it's been a while. Um, and uh, you are a special guest for an incredibly special episode. Uh, Layla, what are we reviewing today? We are reviewing both the short story and the movie that it was adapted from, Color Out of Space from H.P. Lovecraft. Now, to get really specific, we're doing the Nick Cage Color Out of Space movie. But if you've listened to this podcast before, you should probably have figured that out already because Chris is the (laughs) co-host. So good. Okay, I'm going to bury the lead. I love this film. It has everything I could want in a Chris movie. Lovecraft, check. Cthulhu, cosmic horror things, check. Nick Cage, check. And body horror, double check. It's awesome. And Nick Cage freak out, all of it. It had, <laughs> As soon as I saw that freak out, I was like, Chris loved this movie. Done. <laughs> yes. Yes. Movie. I'm going to bear in the lead. This movie is amazing. I love, I, I won't lie to you. I, I did really enjoy it. I did really fucking enjoy it the one issue that i had and this is probably what prompted me to watch it a second time before recording was the first time i saw it when we so chris and i did an episode about the movie the void and it's also a lovecraftian cosmic horror movie and there were triangles all over that movie so i got very distracted by the triangles that i saw in the background of this movie so the first time i watched it so i had to watch it a second time cuz like without it i'm like all right no 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 yes i know her hair clips the triangle don't pay attention to it like fine and also in the the attic window and i kept looking at it being like this has no relevance to the story why is there like why am i noticing triangles Mm-hmm. It has. I know it has relevance to like the Lovecraftian universe and like uh, certain philosophical like followers and stuff like that, and like pyramids and and what pyramids mean and, bu- and bullshit like that. It could also mean nothing. You know, it's one of those things. Oh no, no, it, it's it's it it definitely serves a purpose. Like iconography, symbology. Yes, because I've only read like four and a half stories of Lovecraft so far. 
I have not seen any triangles, so I'm a little useless on this. Yeah, they're like like symbols and elements and stuff like that. They're they're all over Lovecraft, and it's kind of why I think Lovecraft is very hit or miss for some people, like as a writer. Um, because visually you can do a lot with all of that and, and make a visually stunning movie like this, like The Void, um, and possibly The Dunwich Horror. We're going to cover that at some point. I personally have never seen the movie, but that's okay. Um, but there's a, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that you can do with the imagery, but reading it, you just sort of, I have a feeling that sometimes people can get lost and go, what, what the, what the fuck are you talking about? Just like the last 20 minutes of this movie kind of goes off on that Lovecraftian quote unquote logic. I feel like sometimes he writes like that consistently. And that's why I think he's a little, um, hit or miss. Well, for me, my, I do find him hit or miss, but for a different reason of the stories I've read, I find that there are two types of Lovecraftian stories. You'll have stuff like Color Out of Space and Dunwich Horror, which are, you know, there's waves of, of intrigue. There's constantly interesting things happening, and it is gripping you with the imagery of what is going on. And then you have the other stories where it's like, oh my god, this horrible thing has happened like 20 years ago, and I'm going to spend four pages asking you to believe me no matter how crazy it sounds. Okay, so... I was researching this thing, and this guy was researching this other thing, and he explained this. So I was looking into this other thing, and then I had a dream, and it reminded me of something terrible from Clark Ashton Smith paintings. And then so I researched this more thing, and then something happened, and I've been scared ever since. And this is, will be like a 40-page story, and it's boring. So boring. But honestly, Colorado Space is a fantastic story like you know i just told you guys i was rereading the book today it only took an hour it's 30 pages and it it catches you from the very beginning and it keeps your interest the whole time it's fantastic and this this movie i actually was a little hit or miss for me because i the to be to me the the first like the first quarter of it was kind of weak once it gets into the horror Oh my god, I was like legitimately terrified at certain points. Like this was phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I I think I texted the, the group chat that we had going on and I was like, I know this shit's about to hit the fan, but this is just so wholesome right now. I would like to stay here. And the the, the beginning is slow, but like it's it's just like it's it, it, it's it's trying to build a foundation again. Back to the triangle, you need to build a foundation before before the horrific color comes down and smashes everything. So you gotta it sets up um one like the the everyday life of the family. Alpacas. Anybody else want alpacas after this? Cause I do. <laughs> <laughs> No, I couldn't give a shit about those alpacas. But the other thing that that the story begins, it it it, just, it acts as a primer, um, for love crashing things or of like isolation and nihilism that just get increasingly built and upon until you get to the very end. So, uh, the beginning scenes, yes, you see, um. Uh, this family who moved from the big city, uh, they're in the middle of this big transition. You had the mom who uh, recently uh, beat cancer, but she had to have an operation. Um, and now she's feeling less than, 
unless they complete, she doesn't feel like she is as you know, attractive or as desirable as as a as a partner anymore. And then you have Nick Cage, who's going through his sort of self. He self-imposed. He feels he feels like an island because he's like he's trying. He's he left the city. He's trying to distance himself. He has conflicts between his upbringing and his current stasis, where like, oh yeah, like uh, my I I told my dad I would never never work on this farm, and but here I am. But I'm gonna be different from my dad. I'm not gonna be uh, abusive. I'm gonna be a loving father, and I'm gonna make something out of myself. And then I'm gonna make I'm gonna be better than my dad and make something out of this out of this rural, new rural life. And then you have... Um, uh, Lavinia? Lavinia, I'm sorry. Yes, Lavinia, um, who feels isolated uh, and estranged uh, because of just being like an adolescent teen general, but also her, her, her she practices Wicca. Uh, and then you have Benny, uh, who feels isolated and adrift because um, I... Th- I, I liked how they um, they alluded that like, he has like a, a, like a, a huge curiosity about the world. Like he's constantly like, like researching stuff about black holes and in space. So I feel like if everything was okay for Benny, he might have been someone who wanted to work for NASA. Or, uh, but uh, it seems like he's adrift. Uh, he doesn't really have direction or doesn't have like the drive. So he feels resigned to like. I guess I'm going to be taking care of the farm for, like, the rest of my life. And then you have, like, the, the littlest kid, um, Jack. Yeah, so, like, so everyone already in the beginning of the story is, like, miserable. You know, they, they're, they're all, and, and you know, and they're, the house itself, uh, like, in the story, uh, it's far from civilization. Um, and they are cut off from society, and they're left to themselves, um, and they all have, like, these deep, dark personal traumas that are trying to deal with and you know when the, this color comes in it affects not only the environment not only the the atmosphere like the you know like the, the plants the animals the electromagnetism time it also like a praise on like the psycho the psychoses or like the anxieties of each of these characters so that's a long way of saying, like, yes, the beginning is slow, but you, it's very, very important primer for what happens at the end. And it also has a massive payoff, though, because it was setting a scene. It was like, this is the family whose lives I'm about to destroy. I, I love, like, the choice of, like, the color palette they chose, like, this crazy neon magenta. And actually, this is, like, real science. Like, uh, magenta or uh, uh, is, like naturally in like the visible color spectrum um it doesn't actually exist the reason why like our eyes or our brains interpret magenta is because like it's two very specific color frequencies that match that of red and blue that match together uh that's why we can that's why our brain like shows magenta as we see it but it doesn't actually uh exist in the the uv spectrum and this is also the uh, place to the other fact that like the and this also plays into like uh you know Lovecraft's themes where the senses of humans are like very limited. Like for example, uh you know, vision we can only see between a certain spectrum, but like certain insects can see uh parts of the UV spectrum that you know humans can't. So that plays into that. Actually, that's also a really cool 
I think that's a really cool reason why they included one of the insects. Um, oh, that Prey Mantis? That yeah. Wicked. Yes. And that salamander that, like, came out of the well as, like, one of, I guess, like, the first creatures to pop out after the the sort of spectrum color was affecting the well. I want that little guy. He was real cute. He was, like, black in that, like, purpley... Pa- oh, I want, the, so I want the, the, flesh, the fleshy alpaca uh, monster. Six for the price of one. That, that was the only good thing about the alpacas. That was traumatizingly amazing. Right? And I sat there and I was like, so this is something straight out of the thing. So this is Chris's, like, new favorite film ever, because it checks everything. It was so good. And then, like, not only not only the, the alpaca thing, but, like, the, um, uh, Teresa and Jack fusing together. That's straight out of the thing as well. So good. I was horrified. Like, that was the moment where I was like, oh shit, this has gone real. Because there's, you know, you don't expect things to like to copy a book or even to be as good as a book. But as soon as I saw that, I'm like, they just surpassed it. Oh my God, I would never would have imagined seeing something like this. And they did it well. It did not look cheap. It looked genuine, like horrifying. Like you're feeling that suffering and pain and like you're feeling agony. You're also mesmerized that. Like, this is a visual you hope to never see even in your nightmares. That The acting alone that was sort of expressing that pain and that agony that you were talking about um, between the, the sputtering to be able to breathe and her body language and then to watch her sort of, like, lose her hair because of the radiation that's coming off because of the meteorite. Like, all of that, you just... It just... It does things to you and... Yeah, it was, that was, that part was hard to watch. That part was the true body horror element. I mean, yes, the alpaca thing beast was also a body horror element, but this was like a true, a truly horrifying aspect of body horror in a very, with like a very like real, like visceral emotional reaction. Yeah. Because I kind of laughed when I saw the alpaca thing. I was like, it's like the thing. This is hilarious. Yes, I mean that was played like pure shock and, and like spectacle. But the uh, the the fusing of Jack and and, and Teresa that had that was more I, I that's closer to like the general type of under the skin tension and disgust that Cosmic Horror like really tries to get at you because like not only not only like this the what you're looking at is terrifying, but like the implications are just that much more terrifying. Where like you know, it, again, w- w- at the beginning, they play all this setup. Like, yes, like, you know, the family's trouble, but like, I feel like the, well, going back to Rise's description of the wholesome is like, I think one of the strongest, most endearing parts of the family dynamic is like how endearing the relationship is between Teresa and Jack, like the littlest kid. And now they're like literally grafted together. And it's like, uh, you know, especially from like the view, the viewpoint of Teresa. Like, she just has gone through this horrific experience of cancer, and... Oh, God, the fa- I knew that was going to happen, too, as soon as I saw her chopping carrots. I was like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. And it was going on for a long time. It takes well, a long time. Well, they were building yeah. tension, because uh, they didn't want to do it, because they knew what they yeah. were going to do. They didn't want to give it to you right yeah. away. Which yeah. makes it worse. Mm-hmm. 
I like how she turns to everyone, dinner's ready. And then the capstone is like, well, the fact that, like, Jack is now, like, a living tumor grafted to the mob, but he's still his own being. It's like, oh. And the fact that, like, oh, the fact that Jack's eyes are, like, black and purple. It's like, oh, so good. Yeah, and they're sharing the the pain that each one of them are feeling. So, like, she can feel his pain, and he he's still in pain, so he feels that, and then feels her pain, and feels her feeling his. It's like this never-ending cycle of, of like, I don't want to say the word pain again, but fucking pain and agony that they're feeling on a cycle over and over and over again. And it's, it's, te- not, it's not tearing them apart, but it's causing a... a um, quite the opposite they're 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 morphing into each other but it is causing this this amount huge amount of suffering and you can hear it and you can feel it and for me i was like two one of two things needs to happen she just needs to get put down or she needs to just move forward to the next phase because it was that uncomfortable for me to sit there with it just like the kids the kids couldn't really handle it either and yeah i also want to acknowledge the fact that Tommy motherfucking Chong makes an appearance in this movie. Okay, I actually, yeah, I wanted to say, because I have, what I wrote down as my my notes was, Tommy Chong, why? This is fabulous, but why? I, I didn't realize it was Tommy Chong until after the movie, and, and was reading up on some credits, but like, Tommy Chong, like, what his performance wasn't played off as like a joke or, or hammy or anything. He was pretty convincing he was the only person that knew what was going on and yet didn't do shit exactly so one thing i need to add though because it's like oh yeah we should all believe the hippie but also if you see if you're in tune with nature and you see something's wrong how about get the hell out which i was screaming at the screen when people own them they're like oh the car won't start i'm like you have a horse take the horse get help have them bring the car and bring everybody they tried the horse they tried too late yeah comet what a subtle name uh sorry <laughs> could resist no we'll see that that was the other thing there were things in this movie that were nods to the director's other films and other lovecraft other things in the lovecraft universe oh really that were not subtle but they weren't meant to be like lavinia is another character from another story the triangles the necronomicon and miskatonic university sweater all right but also the phrase on benny's bedroom wall no flesh will be spared it's not a nod to lovecraft although and i was like well that's accurate yeah it's, it's a that's a reference to this story <laughs> it's accurate in the sense that it is an omen for the entire farm not just the family it's the whole farm but also it's i think it's from one of the director's like previous works so he put that in there as like a little nod for himself yeah yeah some other i guess or maybe not like easter eggs but like uh happy little coincidences um we can call them eggs i wouldn't call them easter i would call them cthulhu eggs maybe yes yes (laughs) um so Teresa, the mom she was played by uh jolie richardson um and um one of her uh i guess most iconic roles uh she played one of the officers from event horizon another amazing lovecraftian cosmic horror movie um and you know i, I found I, I i i was like i i know that person and i looked it up oh snap it's her um and but yeah that was really cool 
Um, you know, Event Horizon is, is is definitely one of the the top picks when it comes to cosmic horror film. Um, and we already covered that before. Uh, so if you missed it, definitely check it out. That's one of our. That's one of my favorite all time favorite sci fi horror movies. That was a little pocket nineties horror in space. And uh, before I forget, um, I mean Tommy Chong, um. I love his character. Uh, his character was very, he was very brief in the movie, but he had like a great impact. And uh, I loved how, I lo- I just love in general how much the author, or I'm sorry, not um, the director uh, pulled from Lovecraft. Um, Cause like the, uh, the director, Richard Stanley, he's, he was born, literally like raised uh, on Lovecraft. Uh, I was, reading up on some some research. So Richard Stanley, um, as a young kid, his mother was a huge fan of Lovecraft and when she would read she would read Lovecraft stories to him while he was a child. Uh and you know, the cycle continued where I think his mom was in hospice care or, or was it was sick in the hospital. Um or like in later sometime later in life, um he would turn to favor by reading her Lovecraft stories. Aww. So, um, and it, I, uh, Layla referenced this before, but so much Lovecraft, or I mean, so much of the story, uh, was pulled, uh, into this movie. Um, I mean, again, it's a short story, uh, and there were creative liberties, uh, done, like the alpaca or, um, or the fact that it's been modernized, but I, I I'd say like it's still incredibly faithful to the original story, and like all the changes only elevated the the source material to like into a brand new spectacle. Uh, even as small as a, as a role of like Tommy Chong, like um like his character of Ezra, uh it's mo- it's most closely tied to the character of Ami Pierce, who uh who's like uh he's like the Confusing. He's one of the, yeah. He's one of the survivors uh, in terms of like physical appearance, but and he was also a um like they 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 pulled dialogue straight from the the short story like the final words of uh, Nahum uh, and, and gave it to Tommy Chong and, and but they messed it up and like this they created this messed up version of it where he's not talking to you. It, it's a recording of. Tommy Chung's voice on tape, and it's like, oh my god, that scene. Also, like, he, so what I found really unique about using Tommy Chung in this movie that I really enjoyed, that I had to go back and watch this scene at least four times to sort of watch how it goes down. When he goes back, when Ward goes back to talk to him, and he just sort of watch, I feel like every time the screen changes, he looks a little different. And this is before they find him, like, mummified it was so spooky i loved it we and the the his tape recordings that he's doing have sort of been distorted and are just being projected through him through the spectrum color and he like he was like yeah you can you can look for g-spot but she won't or you can you might you might see her but she won't look the same you won't you won't recognize her or a side note about that cat the cat's name is g-spot in the movie and it's played by a cat named lucifer which I found hilarious. But that second time that he goes back to talk to him, every time the camera goes back to Tommy Chong, he just looks a little bit different, I think. Or at least maybe it was the way my brain was was focusing on it. But I thought he 
there was just something a little bit different about him every time I saw him on the screen. I don't know. Maybe my mind was playing tricks on me. Right. The, the second time you see him, he has, he has like a lot more tribal markings. He his fingers, his fingernails are painted. Yeah, but like he didn't, I feel like the, when he goes back to talk to him, like, I, I don't know. There was something about maybe the way it was shot or maybe the way my brain was working that I saw every time the camera went back, something else was like added where I was like, he didn't look like, wait, why? He didn't look like that before. I don't know. Or it could be just good makeup to show the madness. Well, I mean, we'll probably have to watch it again to be sure. But, I, you know, Richard Stanley, like, um, you know, this is, like, the first film he's done in 20 years after he was ousted after his stint on the, do- the island of Dr. Moreau, which is a crime because this movie is a masterpiece. And, like, I knowing, knowing how much he loves Lovecraft and how masterfully crafted, like, all the cinematography and the direction and the writing is i you know i i can write off all those weird changes that you're seeing like oh it's like the the color affecting time because like the 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 color affects time and continuity a lot during the films which is kind of how i wrote off that tommy chong scene but yeah i would say you can just write off as the color like there's that one interaction that same scene where war's like well stay oh stay i'm gonna go you know get help uh, I'm gonna check back with you on the morning, and then Tommy Chung says, "Well, it's already morning." Uh, <laughs> it's like, oh shit. So, yeah. Yeah, actually, one thing I find about like you know, I I have no problem with some of the liberties they had to take for time and things because when you look at the book, everything that happens takes place over the course of like 18 months, and they had to bring all of that 18 months of crazy into like at most five days of the changes that are happening to the you know to the fruits to the trees and i love how they're slowly showing the vegetation changes and then suddenly everything is in the color which is fantastic and then um you know pairing with that um that growth that change uh there's like this diametric um what's it called diametric uh relationship going on we're like so many horrific things are happening like like people are being fused together and like the animals are being mutated uh and uh but at the same time like the scenery and uh and the the flora and the fauna um you know a bunch of characters uh comment at how beautiful it is um it's beyond their understanding and like the implications of it are so cataclysmic and apocalyptic and destructive but like people can't help but like be drawn to its allure and i love that it's 100 percent like classic um in love crash and cosmic horror um and it, it it's um uh, and it, it gets stretched to the apex at the end where um you know the the short story has a very very similar um nihilistic uh foreboding tone um and you see ward you know you know this the the fast tracks to i guess like maybe 20 years uh they're very vague about how much time has passed after like the the color uh created the blast of heap uh and the completion of the reservoir um but ward is now like he looks like visibly aged like the small gray hairs yeah, it, like he's salt and pepper, like you see like bags under his eyes. Like I, lo- I like don't get me wrong, I this is, I love Nick Cage, but I was really really surprised by uh how much I loved uh Ward who's played by Elliot Knight. Uh I thought he was like a very charismatic 
a very compelling uh, protagonist. Uh, he's also like the the he's our he's the audience's backseat uh, throughout the entire POV. Um, and like so, his delivery at the end, uh, where it's still that sense of beauty, where like he's overlooking the reservoir uh, on this beautifully uh, shot scene, where it's like it pans to the giant reservoir. You could just see his tiny silhouette. Uh, in the sunlight, and it pans to the other side, where the cla- like the entire skyline is like pink and magenta, uh, and he's just giving this foreboding um, um, speech. Yes, and it's, that's like that's pulled straight from the short story, and it's like, oh my god, like, and and like not only that, but it's like the again with the creative liberties that that the story takes, it's not just the town of Arkham that's in danger. Uh, in news reports later or early on in the film, the, the 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 mayor of Arkham was talking on the news saying, this new reservoir is going to provide water, clean, fresh water to the entire East Coast. As like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> and then, yeah. And then you see like the, the pink mantis bug flies. Like, oh, okay. Uh, like, uh, much like the original story, not all the alien has left the earth and you know this this movie just made like the apocalyptic implications that much worse like not just not just centered on arkham but the entire eastern seaboard oh chills i love it it was awesome and i think one of the things as well um because you're talking like you know everyone's entranced by the beauty but the great thing about it is that it's also because they're already mad the madness has been creeping on them like like just even the scenes of like with the garden and the kitchen argument, it takes so many different turns. And I like when it first happened, like in the bed, like when they were in a bedroom and they were arguing. And I thought they kept, I thought it was weird that they were changing the things they needed to say. Like when Teresa's like, "Yeah, like you know, I'm so busy, I gotta get to work," and instead she just goes to bed with Jack. And then at first I thought that was strange, and then I see this kind of again in the kitchen. I'm like, oh, they're crazy. They have no idea what's going on, and. It's just so, it's so compelling and phenomenal to observe that happening. So all of this, they're, they only like, probably only half realize how much their environment is changing. Like they see the beauty, but they're not realizing that it's invasive. It's just, their world is too crazy right now. Yeah, but even before that, I noticed through the second rewatch that when he's doing, before um, she cuts off her fingers with the, whole carrot situation when nick cage is being interviewed by the reporter (laughs) um you like how blase i was about that uh they both screw up how much time has passed between the meteor hitting and this interview she says the meteor has magically disappeared from yesterday to when we got here meteor didn't hit the day before at least two days have gone by we think and nick cage says oh it was a couple of days ago neither one of them have any concept of time while they're there at that farm everything is just slowly being pulled apart that and i noticed that the second time i was like wait a minute he just said a couple of days ago and she said yesterday neither one of y'all know what the fuck you're talking about so that was sort of like the web sort of starting to unwind a little yeah like and uh and then uh other other moments of when like all this timey-wimey bs is going on like benny uh suddenly getting lost with the alpacas 
Yeah, the, the alpacas always like getting out of their uh, out of the pen as if you know, like time was rewinding, localized at one point, or betting getting lost, uh, or or when um Lavinia was doing the dishes and it was like eleven o'clock at, uh, at one point, and then it was like five o'clock at, at, at another at the same or uh, moments quote unquote after, but like the sink is flooding full of like bloody sink water. Oh, it was, it was really cool. Um. Oh God, uh, Layla, you were saying something before. I wanted to. I wanted to make a comment. Now I don't remember what it was. Um. Oh yeah, but yeah, like it, I, um, um. Well, for, well, two things. One, I know some people like okay, Nick Cage. Like, has a reputation. Uh, for like you know for shooting Siri and like being over the top and you know so I. I uh, I yeah, and I and I I saw like a bunch of re- like uh, comments online or like you know from articles where like the that ham-fisted over-the-top nature takes away from the movie. I re- I refute and reject that theory. I think it's Nick Cage is the perfect casting because of his ability to like, freak out. Because like all the all the characters in this household are slowly being driven insane. Um and and. And the, having that inconsistent tone or like these these abilities to freak out, it just it just makes it that much more convincing of like the like of how people are at their wits ends and the ability of this color to like literally rip people things apart and reform them to strange new things or bodies or forms, uh, or to like or just to bring out like the the latent horrors within everyone. Oh, so good. His chaotic energy and willingness to bring that sort of um, yelliness that 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 Nick Cage feel about the whole thing. I have never seen him a more a more perfect casting in recent years. I'm not talking about his early stuff. In recent years, the three films that I feel like that his energy were so well suited for was Mom and Dad, Mandy, and this movie. They're I don't think there could be anybody else that could have achieved what needed to be done with those films with anyone else. Like Nick Cage and what he brings and like who he is and who people sort of like make fun of him to be as an actor. Like it's kind of what makes this movie. It's kind of what makes all of those movies. Yeah. Like that moment when he's like, go feed your mother. I was just like chills. He did that so well. It was terrifying. Uh, yeah, when he was like, ooh. Mm, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And imagine someone else, like, delivering that, though, w- trying to match that energy that just comes to him naturally. It wouldn't work. Nick Cage's the only only celebrity who could pull off that scene where he's just, like, ripping into tomatoes and peaches and, like, spitting them out and throwing them to trash can. Like, that scene was beautiful. Yeah, that was fantastic. But it's funny because he can also do other like tender moments. Like I honestly really love the chemistry of Nathan and Teresa at the beginning when they're just sitting on, standing on the porch talking to each other. Like that to me was the very wholesome moment in this, like they talk like a married couple. It was wonderful. Yeah, that was definitely the best moment. That was the exact moment where I texted both of you. And then it's just set up, it's such a tragic setup when he he had that moment in the attic where he's about to pull the trigger and he he can't and he like he like he like he kisses her uh and yet you see like that 
the 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 cr- chromatic saliva and and the fact he's like he's like I I'll I'll still love you you're you're my golden lady I'll take care of you and we'll I'll get help and we'll go away on that trip that we always talked about I was like oh so so sad. oh god yeah that was really sad honest but I would not call that saliva that was slime that was so creepy like it was almost like parts of her were coming off yeah. Ooh. Like, like even like in the in the books, it's more that she's disintegrating. But this was a a pretty good way of showing that while being a step above. Yeah, uh, and the um, the the deaths, uh, some of the deaths, um, or I guess like the transformation of the family members, they were, were had a lot of creative liberty, and and I think like especially like the mom and Jack, uh, and um, and uh, Nathan or or Nahum. Uh, and I, and, you know, the, the source material is elevated by that. Um, some of the, but like with the story, like the, com- in comparison to the movie, the deaths are, I guess, a little less inspired or like they're, they're nowhere near as dramatic or horrific, um, in comparison. I mean, like the story, like, oh, um, I know that, uh, I, I believe Annie Pierce. It was either Amy Pierce or Nate or Nahum, one of the two. They killed their wife uh, out of uh, as a mercy killing, uh, but she was all like, she was also like horrifically like like uh, disintegrating into dust. Uh, the same fate would happen to Nahum. Uh, Thaddeus. When the vapor got out. Yes, yes. Um, Thaddeus, the second son, went to the well, went insane. Uh, and like and was also put into the attic, and he died there in the attic. Uh, Nabby was the wife. He, uh, it's implied that she got mercy killed. Um, Zenas, I think Zenas was either the youngest son or the second youngest son. Um, um, oh wait, you said Zenas was the youngest. That yeah, I think the younger one was like Murdy or it's it, it, Merwin. Yeah. Yeah. So Zenas played the was like the allegory or I was or Benny Benny was the analog of Zenus um yes he they were both like the good son yes uh and they also both perished in the well uh uh quote questioning tactfully Amy could net, could get no clear data at all about the missing Zenus in the well he lives in the well uh so and that's what happened to Benny he gets like you know shocked and sucked into the well because he thought he heard the dog and had to go down to the well. Like, all logic out the window, why would the dog be in the well? And if the dog was in the well, would it have survived? Chances are no. And you would hear splashing. Because the entire land and their their brains are, in, are infected by the color. Uh, so it just made perfect sense. Like, oh, hey, I, I need to save. I need to save my dog. I need to save Sam. I'm going to go I'm gonna go save the dog in the bottom of the non-existent well, because there's no splashing. But, yeah, sure, I'm going to go save my dog. And then, um, and then Merwin then uh just got lost. Like he he went out to go into the night to fetch water. and was never seen from again. It sounds like they combined a lot of those kids into Benny. Probably, yeah. He also probably succumbed to the well. But a lot of those elements they also gave to Benny, which I like. And I don't again like these these things that they change about it. I don't think were a detriment. Um, I think the I it didn't. Did it add anything to it? No, but it did sort of connect it a little bit more when you focus 
a lot of similar happenings on one of the on like one of the siblings instead of having you know three very similar happenings happen to three different kids because that's what that's what's there well i i think what's great about the the, the writing that it's like they they took i mean again this is a short story um you know from the we don't really know anything about the unnamed narrator we we only really really know the most about Amy and uh, Nahum. Uh, everything we quote know about the rest of the family is through Nahum's perspective, but it's a lot. We don't really know a lot about their personalities or what they are. But here in the movie, each of these characters of the family, they're given. They're they're all very three dimensional. They all they have all their want, own wants and fears and anxieties. Um, and um, uh, their own dynamic, uh, uh, how they operate, how they see the world, and how they relate to each other. Um, and you know, I I 100% uh, applaud like all the the individual care they take with developing and, and their eventual destruction. Um, like for example, I mean, yes, this is a lot of creative liberty, but for for example, for Lavinia's case. You know her. She feels isolated. She she wants to get out. She turns to the Necronomicon uh, and casts some spells. And whether or not you actually believe she, like her spell uh, came true, um, I mean, there's an argument. That she didn't get hurt. She did get spirited away. In a way, you could say that her wish came true. Um, but at the beginning of the movie, she said she wanted to get out of there. And then by the end, she's like, "But my family's here." And she does this thing, so she does a protection for herself using the Necromicon so that she won't get hurt. The mom-brother monster never actually harms her. She never gets, she doesn't get shot. She, nothing happens to her, but she does get sort of whisked away by the spectrum. Like she, everything that she puts into the universe comes to fruition in some way, shape or form. And it's it's like that open endedness. Whereas, like, is this just coincidence, or did she actually summon the alien force through the Necronomicon? I'm gonna go with she summoned it. When I saw her on that riverbank, I was like, "This bitch is bringing all the Elder Gods." Yeah. Okay. I feel like I have so much I want to say about Lavinia because she was to me the weirdest element of this story. I know that sounds strange, but she was the weirdest element of the story for both good and bad. Because I remember watching at the very beginning where you begin with Ward narrating the actual introduction of the book. And I'm like, wow, they're like, they're really like holding on to the original story. And then you see a teenage girl doing Wicca, my brain was, and you've lost me. So that threw me off. And then also for some reason, they're trying to ship a teenage girl with an adult man. No, 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 do not do that. Like, and even the mother being like, well, look what you're wearing. And I'm like, no, what's scriptwriter? Calm down. I know she, you do not project your weird, creepy fantasies onto this because this is odd. But, and like, I, and there's another thing I have to joke about this because to me it's hilarious because when Ward is asking her, or no, no, I, maybe it was her brother asking if she was like in a curse, like, did you do a curse? And she's like, I don't do curses. That goes back on you. I'm like, you have the Necronomicon. There is nothing good in the Necronomicon. I mean, true to form, I mean, it, while it did protect her, as you guys pointed out, she did have to 
carve into her own flesh to accomplish this. <laughs> like, nothing good comes from this book. Yeah, uh, you know, what's a little <laughs> self-mutilation when, you know, you can save yourself? <laughs> but it's okay. You, ca you carve the symbol of the Elder God into your head, and then, and then, and you <laughs> And they accepted you as one of their own, and you left. Yeah. Yes. That worked. No more. Yeah, no more do you have to suffer the anxieties of individual existence. You are now part of the grand collective in a, a dimension out of space, out of time, without good or evil, without the shackles of morality. You are just one with everything and nothing, and it's beautiful and magenta and pink. When the Elder Gods come to Earth, we give Chris... <laughs> Yes, them, and we're all gonna be fine. Hopefully, so, uh, we'll just we'll just get a pull. Like here, he he'll go willingly. I swear, go here. Also, uh, can I have so, a baby version of Cthulhu, and I'll be very happy. Um, have you read the Dunwich Horror yet? No, yeah, actually, I I want to get into that. Uh, I um, want a baby Cthulhu, just a little, a little baby one, just a little one. But it has so, to stay this big. That's that's the thing. It has to stay this big. <laughs> so speaking of Lavinia and the Dunwich Horror, so um, Lavinia itself is one of the the biggest Easter eggs, because uh, Lavinia uh, shows up or is a character, a titular character in the Dunwich Horror. She's the mother, the human mother, also a practi uh, a practicing. I'm not sure if witch is like the Wilbur? right. It was Wilbur, right? Yeah, well, Wil Wilbur's the son, yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure if Lavinia in the Dunwich Horror is... She's definitely an occultist. I'm not sure if witch is the right, right moniker, but... Uh, um, and um, so the Dunwich Horror uh, is... Yeah, it's basically that storyline where... Um, where oh, oh, yeah, also, Dunwich is also a reference in this movie uh, on the news reports, which is really mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. Uh, all, it's all, it all takes place in Massachusetts. Um, but the Dunwich Horror is basically Lavinia and a, a story of Lavinia and her kids. Uh, well, one of them is Wilbur, uh, and it's, uh, it's, uh, it's found out through the course of the story that she bears not one, but two ch children from, like, a Shoggoth or one of the Elder Gods, and, uh, the other kid gets, get, gets loose and wreaks havoc on the town. Um, and okay, I did not know this. That is fantastic. It's it's a really good story. It's the best story I've read. It, it is very good, and um, what's what blew my mind, uh, and uh, like you know, props to, um, I, I just want to give special props to like Elijah Wood, uh, because his production company, like you know, like help you know, make gave him gave Richard Stanley like the financing to like make, get this project off the ground, because this film, Color of Space is the first of a Lovecraft trilogy, and Dunwich Horror is going to be the next movie for Richard <gasps> Stanley. So, yes. I'm very excited. Oh my god, yes. The only version of Dunwich Horror that exists right now is a movie from, what, like the 1960s or the 1970s? Yeah. I would be, I would be curious to see, I mean, obviously, I don't want to say obviously because I don't want to jinx anything, but Richard Stanley putting his spin on Color Out of Space was mind-blowing in, in the best way possible so to take something like the dunwich horror i'd be really curious to pit the 1960 version up with the short story 
and eventually see what he brings to life and then do a follow-up episode on whenever it comes to fruition and I yeah I have I'm very like intrigued by that after seeing what he did with this movie I'll say I'm gonna put the the Chris seal of approval um the dark seal of approval Richard Stanley has created the greatest Lovecraft adaptation or, or film adaptation I'm gonna put it out right now I think this is like this is one of the 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 highest tier Lovecraft adaptations out there i think so yes um uh yeah i think well okay well direct adaptations you know, like i mean obviously like there's gonna be other films like you know you know which are di- inspired a lot by lovecraft films like event horizon or um um you know the thing of the void yes um but in terms of, like direct adaptations like in, in comparison with like Herbert Rest re- or Reanimator, 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 which we reviewed before. Um, I'm trying to remember. I don't think we've reviewed any other direct adaptations from Beyond. Yes, that's right. Um, I would say like this is probably the best direct adaptation of a Lovecraft work. Like, it is so good. And like, just just knowing how excellent the Dormitory Horror is as a story, uh, as well. Like, I like, and just and just like. I don't know. I don't know. I, I guess I, I, from what I read, this was always been planned to be a trilogy. So it makes me. It's a very curious decision um, to put Lavinia as um, one of the main characters of Color Out of Space. So I'm wondering if you know this is not the last we've seen of this Lavinia, uh, Lavinia, or if, or maybe, or maybe there's gonna be creative liberties taken with Dimitri, where Lavinia is not actually a character um in the next the next film maybe the one of the main characters is going to be a hook or reference to whatever the third film is going to be whether it's like at the mountain is a madness or dagon or the thing or uh the duna De- the candidate sarnath or whatever other third film um richard stanley decides to adapt but it's very exciting very very exciting i i cannot wait I'm just enjoying you geeking out over all of this. Whenever Chris goes into a whole Lovecraftian rant, it's just like my happy place. So cool. (laughs) No, it it really was. And I think that for, especially again, for a story like this, I, I get the thing with Nick Cage more than I get the thing with some of the other actors out there. I don't dislike Nick Cage as an actor. I just dislike him as a person because he has a, giant ugly prism as a tomb that's for himself in the middle of new orleans and ruined saint louis cemetery number one but we're not going to get into that that's why i don't like him (laughs) but everything else is fine everything else is great (laughs) well i guess i could bring it back to the story because thinking if you want some uh, another giant thing instead of the pyramid what we should have had in my opinion was a giant meteorite because in the book this thing was supposed to be seven feet and then the next day, like, shrinks down to, like, five feet until it eventually fucking... And then the light... Okay, they, they did it. The lightning storm beautifully in the movie. I'm, that was gorgeous. But, yeah, it's supposed to get struck by lightning and then this thing fucking just vanishes. And they did that part and it was great. But I wish it had been larger than, like, the 18-inch random little sphere thing or oblong thing. It could have been cool if you had shown that, that shrinking effect, in my opinion. 
I think with the shrinking, I think, so here's the thing, the shrinking effect versus the warping of time around what was happening because of it. I would rather take the warping of time because I thought that they did it seamlessly and I thought that they did it so well. I didn't even, I was too busy paying attention to what was happening to the family to realize that it was shrinking to non-existing. And I think it almost would have distracted from what they were trying to lay down for you if you had this giant seven foot meteor that you have to like slowly watch like go into itself and disappear okay and i i, I yeah and um they i mean like rice said like they 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 removed that prominent effect of the rhinorite but like everything else about the weird reality warping effects of the of the color of the meteor they just made up for it in spades um so I, I I I mean I found that curious. I I a part of me was like, oh, um, are we gonna see like the team of scientists come in and all these experts? No, okay, but like I think that would have been distracting. Well, they had to do it within a few days yeah. instead. So I think that's like a, a, a small sin. Um, but like the, it did it to keep the movie really tight, keep it cohesive, and it worked. I don't. I think it flowed really well. I don't think there was. Sometimes when you do adaptations, I feel like that there are whole chunks that get taken out for the sake of saving time that you could have just done something to just sort of add to a flow of the movie to just have it be a little bit more coherent or make more sense. Whatever he did with this, it still moved beautifully, just like the short story did. So whatever changes or sacrifices he might have made, I think they weren't necessarily for the for the better of of the content and of the plot but they were better for the movie and it's why when chris says that he's planning a trilogy i actually get excited about it because this this was very successful this was really good so i have faith which i rarely say i i just love i mean i've never admittedly i've never seen any of richard stanley's works before so this is this is the first film he did in like 20 years so uh, for those who don't know, Richard Stanley, um, he, uh, prior to this, um, he, his last project was director and I think writer for, uh, an adaptation of The Island of Dr. Mor- Dr. Moreau from 1996. Uh, but this movie went through literal development hell. Uh, there was like so many problems pl- played with it. And uh, he was ousted from that film. And I don't know what he's been doing for the last 20 years, but I think it's criminal, absolutely a a, uh, a cardinal sin that, like, you know, it took it, it took him this long, or I don't know if no he he just like couldn't get work, or you or like his reputation was destroyed. But like this film, like he was like unceremoniously chased out of Hollywood. Exactly, and. Um, I know the other big film that has a, he has a big claim to fame to is uh, uh, like a cyberpunk sci-fi horror film called Hardware, and I was reading it like I really want to review this rise. So please let's review because I'm a, such a new fanboy for Richard Stanley, so I think we should review Hardware. Um, 
But anyway, um, that's not the point. The point is, like, I love how much attention and care he gives to the original source mo- uh, source material. Like, I knew this movie was going to be great. You can tell that he just gives a shit, you know? Yeah, like, Layla was ex- was saying that before. The movie starts with, like, the opening lines of the short story. Uh, and, it, and so much of the dialogue is pulled straight, like, kind of verbatim from the short story. Like, especially um ezra's voice recording uh the and and like it's like a bridging device like or i guess a framing device like the beginning and the end they're both basically pulled from the short story itself and and um you know i just love how much of a love letter this is and how much reverence he gives to the to lovecraft and it just elevates it like it's oh it's chills like yes yeah and even like even just like the minor things that like you're seeing even like the ice cubes in the in the bourbon have the color or when ward is out at night and you see the shifting vapors in the light and how it's fucking with the electricity to give that modern edge like it's so good watching as this thing is creeping everywhere love it regarding like the ice cube i i love like richard stanley's and like the cinematography like it's just incredible like uh, cinematography is done by Steve Annis, um, so props, props to him. But um, like I love that continuity of that that you're, it, the movie trains you to look out for those visual cues. Like in particular, like any scene with water, like um, like especially in the beginning of the film, they they have like these dramatic close up of glasses of water. And like if you're not familiar with like the original store story, like it just like you're like why is the camera focusing so much? on the water and then it, as like the story progresses it starts to make sense and like you know when it comes to nick cage's descent to madness like he he drinks a lot and like the like i think it's like i don't remember what i think it, it, it's at least the second or third scene of him drinking bourbon but uh um before he gets to like the penultimate uh scene uh there's one scene where like he pours ice cubes and you can just see a tiny, tiny flex of like pinkish magenta uh, reflection. And then, like two or three scenes later, um, you see him pour himself another glass. And like the ice cubes aren't actually ice cubes anymore; they they look like prisms. You see like these full cascade of colors inside the ice cube, and it's like, oh shit! Like the infection's even worse now. I was like, oh, I love those those little details. It's so good. And it gets worse because then he's like, because he's looking at like the crazy rash thing on his arm and he takes out an ice cube and rubs it on his skin. And I'm like, yeah. honey, you're making it a worse. This is hilarious. Mm. Yes. Like it's it's like that scene from uh, like Shot of the Dead where Bill Nighy gets bitten by zombies. Like, oh, I'm running under a cold tap. It's fine. It's like, oh, no. It's like, no, sweetie, no. So I actually hadn't read the short story until we decided to do this episode i purchased a giant compendium of like lovecraft short stories that my husband thought was a textbook that i got from amazon no it's just a book of like lovecraft stories so thanks um and i actually decided and i don't know why i decided to do it in this order but i decided to watch the movie first and then read the short story. So where you guys were looking at the water knowing what was gonna happen and like knowing what to look for, I saw the glass of water and I was like, what the fuck is this, Jurassic Park? Like what's, what am I- <laughs> No, the water's important, that? right? The water's so right, important. Like, I didn't know that. And then the Sonic, 
Right. And then the sonic boom happened. I was like, okay, so it's Jurassic Park. I got it. But then when they did the close up of the alpacas drinking the water, I was like, oh, there's something wrong with the water. Got it. Okay. Mm, okay. Fine. And between that and the creepy kid with the well and all that shit, I was like, oh, it's the water. Okay, cool. So, like, I got it, but I wasn't looking at it from the very beginning like you two were. So, how did it feel watching, like, reading the book after seeing a movie? I honestly, part of me wishes I had read it before, but the other half of me was really happy I didn't. Uh, I think I was just so excited to watch the movie and and I like to like really sit and enjoy reading when I do it. So I wanted to have enough time, which is why I watched this movie at 845 in the morning <laughs> instead of. Oh, no. Yeah, I did. That's how I started my morning with a, with a cup of coffee and Colorado space. It was good. It was really good. Use bodies. Yeah, yeah that's a great morning. Yeah, it was really good. It was great. Uh, you know, breakfast went down smooth and everything was fine. <laughs> Um, so did you check your eggs? Did you check the eggs? Yes. Yeah, so that's the thing. Imagery like that I love, especially in like a really good horror movie. I don't know, there's just something about it that I just like enjoy. So watching it first, I was completely enamored with the whole thing. I I was like enraptured with it. I was like, oh my god. I I hope I, I went into the into the short story really hoping that they hadn't changed too much of it. Otherwise I was going to be really upset because of how much I enjoyed the movie. And I was really blown away with how close to the source material this director stayed. And it, I was like, this is how direct, like direct or just adaptations need to be done. Like find someone who, who so who cares so much about what they're doing a movie about that. They're this close to the source material because it watching it again after reading it you can see the care he put into this movie and it really affects the way you watch it oh uh i wanted to jump off of that um so i i so layla i know you mentioned early in the episode you only read like what four lovecraft stories or and a half i couldn't read shadow at the time that was too boring and uh rye um i guess what's your general exposure to like lovecraft stories or a couple of lovecraft stories over the years i've never sat down and like read an entire collection cover to cover and just really submersed myself into lovecraft i've like bought anthology stories and some of them have like stephen king edgar Allan poe lovecraft this that like i've only read whatever has been in books like that so I haven't, I have this, the, the book that I bought for this episode is really like my first giant book of Lovecraft. And I've read a couple of the stories that are in this edition. I read The Call of Cthulhu before. Like, I think that was my first one. Yeah, that was the first one I read when I got my book. This, this is like a giant beast of a book. And I'm, it's fine, obviously. But I think there was, I think... Call of Cthulhu, and there was another one that I think I read back in the day that, like, really, there was something about it that made my skin crawl in a good way. I really hope it was Lovecraft now that I've brought it up. The Rats in the Walls. That that story made my skin crawl, and I couldn't tell you why. Maybe it was because I just got so into it, and I was on a subway, and there weren't that many people around. I just, uh, yeah, made my skin crawl. And, you know, New York rats, I'm beautiful of them. 
Well, you know, subway rats are kind of fearless. They'll just hop on from the platform onto the onto the subway car and just run up and down until the door opens. <laughs> They're fearless little fuckers. But yeah, so between that, there are, I really, there are so many in this book that in comparison, I think, Chris, you've probably read more than Layla and I. I mean, yeah, so Lovecraft is incredibly prolific. And the reason why I'm asking is because Richard Stanley is going to make a trilogy. We know that the Dunwich Horror is going to be the second film. Uh, there, I don't, I, I tried looking around. There's zero inclination right now what the, what possibly could be the third film. So I know you guys, um, I mean, it could be Polaris. I haven't read. I don't know. I'm sorry. It could be Polaris. It could be, it could be Polaris, but, uh, I just, like, you know, judging from, like, just grabbing from what, whatever collective experience of Lovecraft you've been exposed to, like, and seeing, like, the sheer cinematic genius that Richard Stanley and his team, again, shout out to Elijah Wood for, and his production company for, like, you know, making this, uh, helping making this project happen, what Lovecraft property or short story novella, whatever, would you want to be the third in... Call of Cthulhu. Call of Cthulhu. Watching him, watching him do this with the color scheme that he did and bringing everything to life. Now, again, Dunwich Horror, I think I read that like eons ago. I have to revisit it and I want to watch the 19 whatever. I think I really think it's 1960. I really want to watch that movie because I, that I haven't seen. If he and I can promise you it won't be nearly as faithful as what we watched for Colorado Space. If he can do all of that imagine what he could do with Call of Cthulhu without making it hokey. Because I don't think he would do that. And this is, again, just judging from what we just watched. I I don't, I think he could do it in a way where it would be genuinely terrifying and not schlocky. Uh, Layla, how about you? See, the only trouble is the Dunwich Horror and Color to Space are the only stories I've actually enjoyed so far. Like, Call of Cthulhu, I actually consider that second type of Lovecraft stories, because to me it was so much of research, and then you hear a story about Cthulhu, and it lasts only a short time, so Cthulhu didn't seem to me as scary as it could have been. Maybe there are other stories, because I know that he gets, his name is, is he gets name-dropped into other Lovecraft stories, so maybe if it was mixed with another one that is related, I could see that working as a film, but currently I'm having trouble grasping it. I know I'm currently reading The Shadow Out of Innsmouth, and hopefully that's going to be a good one, because I feel like that one looks like how you would do a film, because it, like, it is a person's journey. Like, they're about to, like, I'm about to go see what this town is really like. But I, I can't really judge. I haven't... Now there's, like, a very good story. I, I um... I'm not going to give any spoilers because I don't want to like ruin the ending, but like it shadow of his mouth is like a very good story. I think it has like seven parts. So I assume it's going to be good. I mean, for me, uh, I get wistful because in an alternate time of reality, uh, Guillermo del Toro's at the mountain at the mountains of madness adaptation would have been a thing, but we don't live in that reality. We live in the darkest timeline. So, um, I mean, I hope Del Toro will, you know, get his shot at making getting that movie made again. Um, but if not, like, you know, I would love to see, 
I could see like because like, uh, like so people who listen or all all the dreadfuls who listen to this podcast uh you know how much i love arctic horror like the thing 30 days of night um uh and then you know at the mountains of madness is uh another uh amazing example of arctic horror um uh that's like the a very 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 streamlined uh, basic synopsis. So you, so you don't you don't know anything about anything about at the Mountains of Madness. It's basically um, the, the 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 exploits and the uncovering of this distra- disastrous and um, um, cataclysmic expedition to the Antarctic continent gone horribly wrong, and a scientist trying to dissuade a new group of explorers. Um, going back there um that's like a very very abridged version but it's so good and and del toro del toro is someone who is equally influenced by lovecraft and like his love for monsters and his love for the genre um but if you can't do it i think richard stanley uh can do that in spades uh and if i'm being a little bit selfish i think just because it's my hands down like my one of my favorite all-time favorite lovecraft stories even though it's not not maybe it may not be like the most famous lovecraft story but it was my personal first uh it's a short story called dagon um yes that's on our list oh my god dagon is like the short story is really good um we've talked about the work of ben templesmith before like he he's like critically acclaimed um illustrator who's very very inspired by lovecraft like um um like he's like colloquially known as like the squid man like he he loves making anything lovecraft related um so dagon's a short story about a uh a sailor um lost at sea um he he i think it was like an officer who got uh who he got washed or he, he was fighting in the world war one and then he got washed away and then he's 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 been sitting on this boat for like weeks on end on the close of dying um and he's also addicted to the morphine and then he has like this surreal experience um uh, on this crazy eldritch uh cyclopean city that comes out of the water and it's experiences of that um god it's set it's it's a it's a very short story but it's so good, and I I would love to see what you're standing tackle with Dagon, just because of like selfish reasons. It's yeah, that could be cool actually. Yeah, I feel like I've I've been recommended that story as well. It it's just not in my collection, so I'll have to read it another time. But I have another question for you guys. I I wonder now because as we were mentioning, like this is a very faithful adaptation, and I wonder how much of that is because it's a short story. Because, like I said, rereading it only took me one hour. The movie is almost two hours. You know, most most books, they have they have to cut things out because a book is a long thing to read. It takes a while. There's so much happening. So I wonder if maybe just being a short story is the virtue that leads for these adaptations to be, you know, true to form, the source material. I think you're you're definitely onto something. Like when you we distill the story. I'm not. I, I mean, 
I don't. I mean, Lovecraft takes a lot of um, uh, disparate influences and synthesizes it to new ones. So, at the moment, I don't. I don't recall if there were any like similar archetypes or similar stories uh, like this before, prior to him. Uh, I mean, like Lovecraft in general is very influenced by the works of like Robert Mahan. Um, I know at the time. Um, like there was there was other works of like alien fiction at the time, but the reason why he chose like color or something that's not like vaguely humanoid, it was that he was disappointed or disaffected by like the all too common trope of having like alien beings being like humanoid or corporeal. He wanted something like truly beyond the scope of human sense or imagination or comprehension. Um, but the, the strength of the color out of space is like when you distill it, it's just like a very sh- simple story. It's like a meteorite crashes in the middle of like a far, like a, like a rural isolated part of the, of, of the world. Um, and weird shit begins to happen. Um, and, and, um, and, and some poor humans are caught in the blast area and they get affected too. Um, and while what Lovecraft's vision was very unique, um, I think it, it's written the way where it's like there's a lot of room for growth. Or um, I feel like Lovecraft um, gives like a couple sprinklings of uh, of detail, but he lar- like he largely leaves itself to the imagination. Um, you know, part of the fact is like cosmic horror is um the erosion of of nature or like or the destruction of epistemology like it's questioning everything you think you know and like and presenting new forms that are foreign and alien and and that's where the 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 horror comes from like the fear of the unknown uh and the fact that uh you're dealing with aliens you're dealing something from beyond like it, it you you pit like the the perspective of one human versus eons of 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 universality behind it and like you know you are dwarfed by like how significant you are to like this otherworldly force um and you know like some specific examples where like you know they they mention like the animals are changing they give um they give specific examples of how like a cow or a woodchuck is changed but they don't it, it, they tell you enough like it's changed it looks unnatural uh, but even like how the the story's written, as well as how the story's portrayed through secondhand sources or unreliable narrators, uh, there's still a lot of room for interpretation, and execution, and an application, and um, and I think that's where this the there's such strength and simplicity because like uh, our 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 boy here, like he. Um, took a lot of creative liberties, but like, yeah, there's like a basic structure of, uh, uh, it's like a simple structure, but like, it's, it's what matters is the, the, those tiny creative choices, the execution and, and assembling a crackerjack team of like the, the, of like, of all the, the actors and cinematographers and the writers and the producers, like to make this into a cohesive and elevated work. So, um, 
So I that you I I'm not sure I don't I mean because Call of Cthulhu, Mountains of Madness, Intimate, those are like much much longer, more complex pieces. Uh, if I remember correctly, Dunwich Horrors is I think it's, uh, it's, it's longer than Call Out of Space, but it's shorter than Call of Cthulhu and uh at the Mountains of Madness. Uh, at the Mountains of Madness was like is like a hundred pages, and Call Out of Space is like. 30 in my book. I can't remember the others, but it's a pretty short story. But maybe that's why it's it's so successful. Maybe that's what the key is because he did make a two a two hour movie out of this. But it works and it 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 did everything right. And I think take something like um, it from Stephen King. That is a hefty book. And now, granted, a lot of it was written by a man who was coked out, who can't remember <laughs> half of what he wrote, which is fine. It's No, he can't. There are parts of his books where he's like, I don't remember writing that because he was on drugs. And that's okay. That, that That's putting that aside. There is a, still a lot of stuff in those books, in that book. And it is hefty and big. And you have to remember the certain phobias of the different characters. And now that they're adults, maybe those phobias have changed or are we gonna take them back to a childhood? Are we gonna do this? Are we gonna do that? And there was just layers on layers and layers of Pennywise and its forms and it, there's a lot there. And yet there's still each chapter, they split it into two chapters like they did the miniseries. And even then I think they're close, each one of those films is close to two hours and there's still so much material that Andy Muschietti did not include and made his own and only did nods to the original source material. And why I don't think that that's a necessarily always a bad thing, do I consider it a successful adaptation? Yes, but I stop at adaptation. It's not a direct adaptation like this one is. I think that because of how short it was, you can turn it into a two-hour movie because you have stuff to work with. And even then, he didn't even just use the story. He used the entire Lovecraft universe that he has that he can play with and, and add little Easter eggs and homages to, which I think, again, also sort of adds to all of this because it shows you that he is a fan and he cares and he's paying attention, not just to the story he's creating, but the universe he's building. So... Maybe that is why it was good, and maybe that is what makes this next trilogy that he's doing so successful. He sticks to the shorter stories of Lovecraft. So maybe in that regard, maybe Call of Cthulhu shouldn't be the third one. Maybe it should be something that's a little bit shorter that can sort of tie into all of this. Well, I mean, there's, I mean, there's so many stories set within the fictional city of Arkham or just Massachusetts and anywhere Massachusetts in general he's he's already he's already like laid the seeds for Dunwich cuz like yeah, Dunwich right uh Dunwich is already there in the movie whereas Cthulhu was like probably closer to like Australia Oh uh well yeah parts of the st- yeah so like the like the I guess like if we wanted to talk about it in, in movie terms like the third act uh took place like uh like in New Zealand uh or off the coast of Australia um, it was like a like a remote island not too far away from Australia where they uh, accidentally unearthed uh, the portal holding holding a sleeping Cthulhu. And he comes out he comes out and he's, he's attacks the ship and he gets struck and uh, he, he gets struck um, but then he starts to reform. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, so it probably will be something that, like you were saying, it will be more within Arkham. That would make sense, just to keep it as like an Arkham trilogy. I'm excited to see whatever he decides to do. I honestly, I know, after, you know, I, I, I just want to consume all this man's work. Um, especially hardware. I've been uh, I've been told that it's like a very very beloved cult classic. Um, and even if it's not tied to uh, like the, you know Arkham or Miskatonic University or what have you, um, I mean on one hand, like in terms of like marketability, you know when you when you when you're making a movie, it's still business. Um, so obviously like. You know, from a market standpoint, like Call of Cthulhu would make a lot of sense, or the Mountains of Madness, or uh, um, although Color Out of Space, um, I don't think it's. But that was considered a Shutter exclusive. That didn't have. Well, um, I think it, it was. It was an indie. It wasn't made for Shutter. I think it was picked up by Shutter. Um, but even even yeah, but even with that. Um, this the uh, color space had like a um, a very small release in the U.S. and I find that so such a criminal act. Like I don't know why I didn't see this in theaters. I don't I don't like, this came out in the U.S. Um, like early like late January of this year. Because uh, like I if there was any movie I would kill. To see in the on the big screen, it would have been this film, especially like all those crazy effects at the third act, and um, I don't know, maybe it'll come back into theaters. Um, but my point was saying, like, in terms of marketability, I'm mean, obviously with the success and a critical acclaim uh, it's been getting. Like, Dawn of is, is an excellent pick for the second film. Um, I mean, I guess you would say probably like the the. I guess like quote unquote obvious ones would be one of the bigger stories. Although if I've sound sound like a hipster, I'm sorry, but like I think Richard Stanley has an incredible opportunity to like to bring to life like a work that's like not commonly adapted um, um, or lesser known or not as popular, but elevate that as he did with Call Out of Space. Like to me, Dagon is that piece. Dagon is like I feel like one of the, one of the more underrated. Um, pieces of lovecraft literature but that's just that's just me you know also i'm incredibly biased um but um i i think in comparison to other lovecraft works i think color out of space had fewer adaptations you know it had a loose adaptation in 1965 called die monster die um there was a another loose adaptation called The Curse. Uh, another one from 2008 called Color from the Dark. Um, and then you could make an argument that like Annihilation from 2018 is um, is could be one. I mean, Annihilation was based on a book, but like the way the film was shot, it's. It plays more off of like Call Out of Space than anything else, um, so. Mm, but I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like Call Out of Space was like a, uh, maybe like an unorthodox choice. But like I, but don't. But it's an excellent. But it works so yes. well.
I enjoyed the shit out of this, so I would give this the highest of ratings because this was my first color out of space experience between movie and short story and I have I have no I have no gripes with it. Like I understand the choices that were made. I think that they were understandable and valid and I see nothing wrong with it. So yeah, this one this one holds up in my book. Oh, are we like is this like the like the legit rating? Oh yeah, yeah we didn't say ratings. ratings. <laughs> yeah. I wanna I wanna give this eight alpacas out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> but they're fused together, so all the fused alpacas. Imagine these sweaters. Well, they didn't have, wait, they didn't have any fur at that point. They were just skin. Yes, and they were all irradiated and burnt. Yes. It was just flesh. Would you like a flesh sweater, Layla? Is that, is that what you're saying? Just call me Buffalo Bill. <laughs> uh, I would give this 11 out of 10 Manchenta meteorites because... It's, it's so, like, there's, this movie is, I, I know I sound biased, but this movie's perfect. This movie was so good. Chris, you're not biased at all. I don't know what I you're know, talking uh, about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not me who's talking, it's the color. I'm speaking through, for the color and through the color. Um, gosh, like, yeah, this movie is so, again, like, my, my own, my, I, this is not a gripe on the movie. This is the gripe on me. On me. Because, like, I wish I could see this in theaters. And I wish, I wish, like, this movie was afforded, like, a greater opportunity to be seen uh, on a greater, uh, on a water uh, release. Because, like, it, it, this was, this movie was largely regaled to the indie circuit. I think, how many theaters? I think it was only. Yeah, this movie was only shown in 73, 70 theaters uh, nationwide. Or no, I'm sorry, 81 theaters. That's still a tiny amount. That is a very low amount. And like, you have you have like the selling power of like Nick Cage and um, uh, Jolie Richardson. And uh, yeah, I think that's like a major injustice. So, but I mean, regardless of, I mean, or... Well, in spite of that, this movie was incredibly well received, justly so. And I feel uh, I, that makes me incredibly excited because I literally I just found out about this like earlier today when I was doing some back backup research that it's part of a trilogy. We're gonna we're gonna get Domich Horror and like I don't know like 2021, 2022. There's no exact timetable, but Richard Stanley just what an auteur. Like like a phoenix, you know. After twenty years of exile, he's coming. He's come back with like, just hitting you home, and I cannot wait to see what it, what he brings. Yeah, I think I think it'll be visually stunning to watch, whatever it is. So I'm excited. Agreed. Uh, I I'm very very curious. What is everyone's favorite scene? The daughter's demise into the well, like in front of the well. I thought it was captivating. I thought that after everything that had culminated throughout the film her wanting to leave her resisting to leave because she was with her family everything that this girl had went through um but even putting that aside just all the things that she she i i mean in my eyes she's responsible for everything that fucking happened in this movie so <laughs> So, like, 
I, but I just thought that of everyone's, everyone's demises were so horrific um, and very hard to stomach and watch. I thought hers was like the most beautiful. She just sort of like accepts everything and it just, it just, go, it like glows up within her, but she doesn't look like she's in pain. She seems like she's at peace. So between that and the alpaca monstrosity, I was like, yeah, I was so, I was there. I was totally there, but that's. Those were, those were my moments. So this is going to be interesting because I think my favorite scene is actually the moment right after that. I like when Ward, when he was actually like escaping because the visuals of that and you're seeing the warping of the colors of even his movements were fantastic. And then after the explosion, my, my little nerd brain, as he's escaping, my brain went, the blasted Heath! And I was just so excited to see the dust. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, yes, they did this. And as they're expanding and it takes for ages to see the edge of green of a forest. And I'm like, dude, you're doing this justice. Phenomenal. Well done. So all of that was just awesome. I, I geeked out so much too. Yes. Yes. I, I completely agree. Like that entire like f last four to five minutes which is really cool, uh, you know everything. Like just basically, when when Ward and the sheriff peace out to find Ezra, like everything, just it was just relentless. You have the the Ezra and like the dialogue, like they pulled from uh, um, Nahum's final words. They put that on tape, and it just made that death scene eat from the short story even more creepy than before. And then. Um, you know, as a shout-out to uh, Evil Dead, which, in, in which, like, the Necronomicon factors heavily. You have the sheriff being killed by a tree coming alive. Uh, and then you then you go into uh, the the death of Lavinia, uh, or quote-unquote death, you know, but she might still be alive. And, um, um, uh, and you know, as, we, as, we, as we're talking about the Necronomicon and how this is a trilogy... Um, you know, for those who haven't read the Dumbwich Horror, like spoilers, you know, pause now or, uh, you know, you know, you know, forever hold your peace. Um, uh, the Necronomicon factors very, very heavily into the Dumbwich Horror. And we already seen Lavinia share the namesake of one of the characters and she's, uh, you know, practicing spells and she has like a copy of it. So maybe she does come back. Maybe that's the perfect bridge between this movie and the next film. Uh, but that entire scene was crazy, especially like the sigil on her head beginning to glow, and then you see uh, war. Yeah, you see war like get a glimpse into like the the like the hive mind that this color belongs to, uh, and then you get oh my god, like that scene where Ward is just dodging from a fully crazed um, Nick Cage, who uh, who his character was beautifully uh, cultivated from the character of Nahum um, because in, in the short story as well, um, Nahum uh, are, uh, possessed a lot of the same attributes where uh, there's parts of the story in the... It's like it's like bef it, it's before in the short story. It's before when the, the color like exploded out of the well into the heavens. But uh, Nahum... Um, uh, imagine and talks to his family as if they're still normal, still present, even though half his kids are dead and like 
the wife is already dead and rotting in, in, in the attic. Um, there's like this one scene in the short story where he's asking Zenus to fetch more firewood uh, when in fact Zenus has been missing for days on end. Um, so they play off of that and it's, 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 they play it so beautifully. And like the, the chase scene where like Ward and Nick Cage, like their edges on the film are like bleeding away until like, and, and it's just being stretched and pulled is like so trippy. I love that scene so much. Uh, obviously I love the, uh, the, the alpaca thing monster. Um, so good. And then like, and then just because, it's Nick Cage, and it just provides like like whether it's intentional or intentional comedy. Just that scene where he's just biting, biting the fruit and peaches and freaking out. Don't forget his freak out in the car. You can't have a Nick Cage movie without him freaking out anywhere at least once. That's gonna get added to a compilation video on YouTube somewhere of like greatest Nick Cage freakouts. <laughs> so good, like Nick Cage. Uh, Nick Cage has always been a great actor, and I you know if you. Uh, but I feel like he's he's truly found his home in like, all these weird experimental films, and you know I I just I you know I I, I want Nick Cage to come back for the Dumbwich Horror, um, even if he even if it's like some hokey role like he's mocapping like the Eldritch Shoggoth, you know older brother at the end that'd be awesome. <laughs> you know he probably will right. Like, I started watching this this morning. Tom comes out of the bedroom and he looks at what I'm watching and goes, wow, so Nick Cage will just do anything now, right? <laughs> hey, he does it well. This was meant for him. But here's the thing is that's what I was, that's what I was getting at. I think this, like, weird sort of niche of cosmic horror or, like, anything, like, weird like this really works for him. Like, watching him and Mandy was just jaw-dropping like there were parts of this where i was like i have no idea what's going on but i'm happy and excited and nick cage is gonna kill something and i'm fine with it or like even in mom and dad the premise of the story is really unnerving but he was fantastic he was fucking hilarious in that movie so i just think like this all of these like little weird horror movies that he's now getting involved with i think just suit him so well so it's not that he'll do anything. I think he just, like, in later in life, I think he just, like, found this place to put his chaotic energy that he brings to a screen. And he just, like, found a place where it really, really, really works. Which is Lovecraftian horror. <laughs> so basically anything where everyone loses their minds, Nick Cage. Yes. On that note, thank you for listening to another episode of Left Judd. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Everything helps. You can listen to us on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify every Friday. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Left 4 Dread Pod. You can find us on Facebook, and you can check us out on our website at leftfordread.com. And we would like to give a very special thank you to our guest host, Layla. Layla, Yay! where can uh, uh, everyone find you on the interwebs? And and do you have any last words to the audience before we get spirited away out into space as well? Oh, well, I, I don't have the online presence unless you count fan fiction, so I'm not going into that. But yeah, my advice, you know, take a look at this movie. When Dunwich Heart Horror comes out, please read the book, read the stories. Watch the films. I have a feeling this is going to be phenomenal. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you, Layla. Thank you again for 
uh, this strange wild trip we 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 find ourselves in. We're gonna we're gonna leave the blasted heath right now. Uh, we're gonna go someplace normal. Uh, so thank you so much for listening to this amazing, uh, or to thank you for listening to this just this this sheer love fest for for Cthulhu, Nick Cage, and all things weird. Uh, we hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, don't drink the water, and don't forget. Stay dreadful!